So today is World Communion Sunday. Uh, this is a tradition that began at Shadyside Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 1933. And then seven years later, as the Second World War began to engulf nations across the globe, the Federal Council of Churches of Christ in America adopted what was then known as Worldwide Communion Sunday. In the context of World War II, in the face of that uh, global catastrophe that would ultimately claim an estimated 75 million lives, World Communion Sunday became an important reminder of our unity in Christ, despite the many differences among us. Christianity, you probably know, is the world's largest religion with about 2.5 billion followers of Christ around the world. And the diversity of the Christian movement truly is astonishing. There are Christians of every nationality, race, and language from, from a broad range of ideological and political perspectives representing uh, the full span of human experience and social and economic location. All of this is due to the appeal, of course, of the gospel in every human context through the power of the Holy Spirit as the message of Christ is carried around the world. Uh, there is tremendous beauty and power in our diversity as a global movement. And on World Communion Sunday in particular, uh, we have a chance to celebrate that. But sometimes uh, it seems as though we are much better at clinging to our differences than we are celebrating our unity. Sometimes we have a tendency to overemphasize our differences, especially when it comes to the theological differences that can serve to divide us. Now, some of these theological distinctions are important to be sure. For example, different denominations have different interpretations of various aspects of Christian theology, and we organize ourselves differently, and we read the Bible differently in some cases. And these are definitely not minor points, to be sure. But some of our differences are just because we have, sometimes anyway, a hard time getting along. Uh, it's been said that the only thing you need to start a new church, to start a new Christian denomination, is a Bible, a coffee pot, and a theological axe to grind. <laughs> you can drive around the streets and discover lots of interesting denominations or churches. And to that point, uh, do you know how many different Christian denominations there are in the world? Any guesses? Like I, I didn't know at the start of this week. I asked my wife, Whitney, and she was very, very low in her estimate. Well, according to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, that number, believe it or not, is 41,000. <laughs> 41,000. I, I, I grew up Catholic, and I thought there were two Catholics and everybody else, honestly. <laughs> but uh, no, 41,000 is what the Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary says there are, uh, which says as much about our human inability to get along, and in some cases our, our unwillingness to just agree to disagree, than it does about Christ's desire for his church. And so on this day each year, on World Communion Sunday, the first Sunday of October every year, even as we celebrate the incredible cultural diversity which is so rich, and that comes with being part of a global church, we're called to look past the disagreements and, and differences among the various flavors of Christians to remind ourselves that all 2.5 billion of us have the same Lord, 
and the same host at the table we'll celebrate later this morning. Because in the midst of all of our differences, after all, we are all part of the same family of God. Uh, In that spirit of unity, we're going to read today from the lectionary gospel for this year. Now, the revised common lectionary, as it's known, is a a rotating three-year cycle of recommended readings for worship used by many different denominations around the world, which means that millions, perhaps hundreds of millions of Christians hear the same readings every Sunday, and that gives the Holy Spirit the chance to work on a whole bunch of us at the same time through our sacred texts. Here at Christ United, we read one of the lectionary texts in worship um, about 60% of the time. And the lectionary focuses on a different gospel each year. John is sprinkled throughout, but the other three gospels are focused on each year. This is year B in the lectionary cycle. If you're interested, it is Mark's year, and I do have a confession to make. Uh, We have not given Mark much airtime this year. Um, You may know that the church year begins on the first Sunday of Advent, which makes this the 45th Sunday of this particular liturgical year. In those 45 weeks, I have preached on Mark twice, (laughs) uh, Palm Sunday and Easter. And so what we're going to do for the next four weeks, starting today, is play a little bit of catch-up. We're going to read Mark for uh, four weeks in a row. And today's passage is actually one of the most famous stories from Jesus' ministry. It's perhaps his most famous miracle, uh, the feeding of the multitude. And just a, a fun fact here, of all of the miracles that Jesus performed in his home region of Galilee, which is where he did the majority of his ministry, this is the only miracle story that actually appears in all four Gospels. The details vary a little bit in each one, but we're going to read Mark's today. So this is Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. I'll read all of it uh, right now. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist Mark. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, His disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away, so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. They they said to him, Are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? One denarius was uh, the equivalent of a day's wages, basically, for a laborer. So That's a lot of money. And he said to them, how many loaves have you? Go and see. When they had had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples and sat before the people, to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. 
Those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When my wife Whitney and I went to Israel back in 2018, one of the stops on the tour was the Church of the Multiplication, which is the, uh, a Benedictine church it's on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's located on the traditional site of this most famous of Jesus' miracles. And we were there during the Orthodox season of Epiphany. Their calendar is a little later than ours. We're mid-January. Uh, and so the decorations for Christmas were still up. That added to the charm. I took this picture. That's looking at the altar of Church of the Multiplication. The Church of the Multiplication is located, if you've been to Israel, you know this, uh, near several other churches that mark the traditional sites of various events in Jesus' ministry, like the, the Church of the Beatitudes, which is where he preached the Sermon on the Mount, and the, the uh, Chapel of the Primacy of St. Peter, which, according to St. John, uh, was where Jesus made his final appearance to his disciples after the resurrection. But Mark's version of the story of the feeding of the multitude uh, emphasizes a detail that's actually uh, a bit incongruous with the, the beautiful, the idyllic, the rather simple church that marks the site today. You may know that Mark is the earliest of the four Gospels to have been written. It was written sometime in the late 60s AD. That was probably 20 years uh, before Matthew and Luke wrote their Gospels. It was some 30 to 40 years before the Gospel of John was completed, which means that Mark's uh, account is the earliest version of this famous story that, as I've mentioned, appears in all four Gospels. And Mark's account of this story emphasizes an important point. It comes at the very beginning. As the narrative begins, the disciples are trying to get away from the crowds to rest for a while. And Mark tells us that they are headed to a quote-unquote deserted place. That's how the translation we just read puts it. But you could also translate that as a desert place or the wilderness. And what that means is that uh, when the crowds follow, they presumably also end up in the wilderness. Which means that, as Mark tells the story, the, this miracle echoes the, the feeding miracles from the wilderness journey of the people from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land. This is a, an intentional and an important connection to our Old Testament roots. Just as in the wilderness, when God provided food to sustain the people on their journey out of Egypt, uh, manna and quail is what was provided according to the book of Exodus. So Jesus provides food for the multitude that followed him into the wilderness. And then the story as it appears in Mark ends by foreshadowing the night before Jesus' death at his last meal with his disciples. Here in the wilderness, Mark tells us that Jesus takes the bread and breaks the bread and gives the bread to his disciples in the very same way that he will later on the night that he institutes what we now understand to have been a sacrament. Communion is what we consider to be a means of grace in the Wesleyan tradition, which is to say uh, it's food for our spiritual journey provided by the Lord who calls every one of us into a relationship. Of all the events in Jesus' ministry, it seems to me that part of what makes this particular story so famous, so memorable, so beloved, even people who don't know a lot about Christianity tend to know something about this story. And what makes that so, I think, is that it's a beautiful metaphor for 
the spiritual life. All of us are searching for something, just as the multitude was that day. And sometimes, just like the multitude that day, we find ourselves in the wilderness (laughs) with darkness setting in. All of us, no matter our social location or history or circumstance or current challenges, every single one of us uh, is in search of, is in need of something that we cannot provide on our own. And that need changes over time, it evolves over time. Um, But no matter what is going on in our lives, it's always there. And it is at our point of need that Christ meets us with compassion giving us food for our spiritual journey. There is always enough, and it is always what we need. If, if the miracle in the feeding of the multitude was the, the multiplication of the fish and loaves, tangible food to feed the crowd in front of Jesus that day, then it seems to me that the miracle of this World Communion Sunday is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the host for every Christian everywhere in the world who will come to the table this day. Christians the world over from such diversity that we can scarcely comprehend it. All approach the table of our Lord in need of what only Christ can offer. And in our dizzying and yes, sometimes divisive but nonetheless glorious diversity, Christ meets every single one of us and welcomes every single one of us and feeds every single one of us and then sends us back out in the world. 41,000 denominations comprised of two and a half billion disciples all approach the same throne of grace, the same table of our Lord on this day, on this day every year. We celebrate what seems to be, at first, um, a contradiction. (laughs) Both the glory of our diversity as a global church and the glory of our unity in Christ. Last week, I closed our Why Church sermon series by talking about the metaphor of a mosaic, how a mosaic uh, can be a, a metaphor for the church, certainly the global church, because Uh, A mosaic is a collection of different, sometimes irregular, imperfect pieces, pieces that otherwise probably would not go together, but that when gathered and arranged by a master artist, become part of something beautiful. (laughs) So it is with the body of Christ in the world. And I want to end on that note again today, because you see the Church of the Multiplication it's a, it's a modern structure. It was built, it was completed and consecrated in 1982, so it's, it's very recent, but it's built over the site of an ancient church, a church that dates back to the year 350 AD. When the Persians conquered the Holy Land in 614 AD, they, they destroyed most of the churches there, including the church on the traditional site of the feeding of the multitude, but in the late 19th century, archaeologists discovered its ruins. And in those ruins, they found floor mosaics dating to the 5th century A.D., the oldest known such Christian art in the Holy Land. It's fitting, I think, that the restored mosaic in front of the altar 
in the rebuilt church of the multiplication depicts Jesus' most famous miracle, (laughs) the miracle that has echoes in the sacrament of Holy Communion, through which Christ continues to feed the multitude of his disciples around the world who will gather around the table this World Communion Sunday. So friends, it is good to be the church. It is good to be the global church, universal. And it is good to put our faith in the one who meets us wherever we are. Thanks be to God. Amen.